it's coming to all aspects of our lives from the way in which we work, live and play. All three of those areas are, are being changed. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. And today I am having the privilege of spending some time with a friend of mine, James Porter. And half of you who's James Porter? I know him as JP. So we're going to be talking to JP today from Vixen Lab. So morning, JP. How are you? I'm very well, mate. Lovely to be with you. Yeah, great to see you twice in 12 hours. <laughs> That's right. We, uh, uh, for those listening, you'll be like, "What?" well, we bumped into each other at an event last night. I wasn't expecting to see Dan in full finery. So lovely to, <laughs> you, lovely you, to see you, you with a shirt on. <laughs> with a shirt on and a jacket, I'll have you know. So yeah, yeah, there we go. So JP, for those who don't know you listening from all over the world, tell us a little bit about what a day in the life of JP looks like. Well, uh, there's, I would say no two days are the same, but there's probably some that look similar. Um, I, for those that maybe don't know who I am, I'm, everyone knows me as JP. I'm James Poulter. I'm the CEO and one of the co-founders of an agency based in London called Vixen Labs. And we are um, one of the leading, I suppose, conversational AI agencies in, in this space. And you might be thinking, well, what's even conversational AI? What does that mean? And I suppose if you've played around with a, a voice assistant device like Alexa or Google Assistant at home or perhaps you've been using ChatGPT over the past uh, nine or 10 months. Um, we help brands and businesses deploy that. And so as a result, we're working with all sorts of different companies around the world. Our team is kind of a nimble uh, unit based uh, here in London, but with folks in the US and in Germany and Poland. And so uh, a lot of my day is spent talking with those people. Um, and a lot of our business is also in those countries as well. So we spend a lot of time connecting with clients and customers, really helping them to try and work out what is the future of this artificial intelligence that we're all living through the revolution of at the moment. And so a day in the life for me often starts either working from home here in my home studio down in the south of the UK in the Surrey Hills, <laughs> a beautiful part of the country, and spending some time, uh, you know, look, I'm a father to two young girls and uh, a husband to my wife, Holly, who's a fantastic wedding planner, one of the leading wedding planners in the country, which I'm very proud of. And I spend a lot of time with them. Or I might find myself in, in the London office uh, with our team, uh, where some of the, the folks are based. We're, we're a remote organization, as many went through uh, during COVID. And Dan, that's part of your story as well. And um, we've uh, yeah settled on a kind of hybrid model. So I often will also find myself in town. And since the, the pandemic really has kind of um, abated, uh, I'm back out on the road a lot speaking about this topic of, of AI in commercial settings, but also increasingly about the overlap between AI and faith and AI and kind of Christian belief and what that might look like. And so uh, in the past few weeks, that's why those days are not like that the same. I've been in the US a couple of times around. I was in Germany just this week. I'm heading out uh, to Greece in a few days time. And um, I just take an awful lot of joy about that and, and sharing this message with people about what um, how we can kind of reconcile these these big topics um, in our lives. So that's that's a typical day for me. Can you take us back to the beginning when you sort of first started in business and sort of how and why did you get into entrepreneurship? Well, I suppose this is my second go round with being an entrepreneur. When I first left uh, university, I set up a, um, a podcasting production company, which is going back a good like 16 years or so now. So as you can imagine, it was a bit early for podcasting, but we, we managed to land a few clients. Right. And I got to do some work you know, with kind of trying to start up a business. It was basically me and an intern trying to kind of make that happen. And I realized very quickly I wasn't going to be able to make my money in that that space back at that time. It was just too soon. 
I had studied radio production originally, so the only thing I'm really qualified to do is talk into a microphone. <laughs> uh, so maybe it's appropriate that we're now podcasting years later and it's kind of boomed. I should have stuck with it, really. <laughs> but um, I, So I had a go around doing entrepreneurship then. And I've always tried to have a kind of side hustle going. For a few years, I ran a men's lifestyle blog called The Manifest, which was like a side hustle for a few years, which basically just resulted in getting sent a lot of nice bottles of whiskey to review and uh, being taken out in some nice cars. But my real kind of exploration with, with entrepreneurship started five years ago with the launch of Vixen Labs with my co-founder, Jen. We had met through some industry events and both found ourselves leaving existing jobs and looking for something new to do and both inspired around the idea that voice technology could maybe help us have a more human connection with brands and businesses that we all have to interact with, right? We all have to interact with businesses. There's no way around that life you know, operates that way. But I felt that we could do that maybe better than constantly clicking and scrolling through the web to get that done and so we thought voice technology was a way to do it and so in 2018 when we started alexa was at the very early stages of kind of becoming a real uh, a breakout technology and we felt like there was an opportunity there and so we founded the agency around that proposition of helping businesses leverage voice as their primary or one of their primary touch points and over the years, uh, that's now grown to expand into this more broader space of, of conversational AI, bringing in the chatbots and search and other aspects. So, But we first started um, really with a desire to just go out alone and see if we could kind of build something of our own. And we've been very um, blessed and fortunate to have seen uh, the team grow and clients come on board and stick with us and uh, and now find ourselves yeah with a, a staff of about 15 people across those countries and a handful of others that help us along the way. And uh, yeah, it's brought a lot of joy during that period. Brilliant. I'm always interested though, like you mentioned obviously the the podcasting business and some side hustles. Doing a manifest sounds quite cool. Um can we start that again? Yeah, bring it back. <laughs> yeah, bring it back, bring it back. It have to be a TikTok channel now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Were your parents entrepreneurs? Where did you get that? Because I I'm always interested. What what's that entrepreneur urge? What's that bug? Because you know, I know in my in my world, in my stories, like it was a mindset I always saw an opportunity. I remember I started the first loyalty scheme in like the mid to late 90s across all the bars in Maidstone it wasn't even legal to drink in the bars in Maidstone but it was one of the ways I could get into them was starting the loyalty scheme and I just saw the opportunity to I don't know just drive customer engagement drive a bit of loyalty it was just in there in me you know that I was selling clothes and I was it's just one of those things where you know you have a bug was that the same with you did you have you have you had yeah. this kind of I want to make things happen I want to fix things or what was that? What's that drive? What's that internal motivation? I think the the big thing that I'm recognizing in myself in the recent years is that the thing I hate to see is unfulfilled potential. When I see an opportunity that you know should be happening, I'm like, why is someone not doing that? Then I'm always trying to figure out if maybe I should do it. Maybe I should find somebody else that can do it or help them do it. But I've always had that in me, and you know, a lot of that is why I've always looked at new technologies because I see the potential of where these things are going to go in the future and what it might look like, and I want to see some way of that being fulfilled. In terms of where that comes from, I think some of that's just innately in our character, and I think also it's it's a God-given thing of just we are called to be creative and we we are called to create and fulfill. Yeah, you know, kind of go forward and, and fill the earth, right? It's like one of the first commandments we're ever given uh, in the Bible. And and with that comes that, I think, urge in many of us that see ourselves in that kind of maybe more apostolic role, whether that's in church life or in business to go and fulfill that. 
I've also had some really great examples in my life as well. My um, my dad is an entrepreneur. He founded a business after also being you know a similar story to my own, coming out of redundancy and wondering what he was going to do, and found himself in the, in the legal profession, uh, founding one of the kind of leading recruitment firms and and HR training firms in the law sector in London, and working with people and building that from his own ground up. He's now run that for over twenty five years himself and made a, a real success of it. So I've had those examples which has been great. My brother's also a very successful entrepreneur in, in the professional fitness space as a personal trainer, and he now trains other trainers to to do what they do. So um, we've got some great examples in our, our family. I think it's a part of the kind of the, the Polter gene or something like that to kind of go and, and uh, help people fulfill that potential because that's a common thread there if you think about that recruitment and HR stuff or helping people with their fitness and their business development. And then certainly in terms of my my world much more helping kind of corporates uh, succeed in that space so i think it's definitely in there somewhere yeah brilliant how it manifests itself has been different but that's where it's come from uh really interesting and a uh, kind of segue in slightly you, you mentioned ai a couple of times in relation to to vixen labs and you, you're really clear on your mission and vixen labs wanting to sort of you know empower brands to engage with consumers and vice versa using voice but you mentioned AI a couple of times, so yeah. and I know that you're advising across the board on that. But tell me, the next big thing or the next big fad? What what are we looking at? I mean, I don't think it's just the next big thing. I think it is the current big thing. I think yeah, it's much like with all things in the future, it's already here, but it's unevenly distributed, right? That that quote yeah. comes up a lot, and I think that we find that AI it is like that. But that uneven distribution is getting leveled out really, really quick. AI is nothing new as well, I think is worth saying. It's that a lot of these technologies have been around for some time. Large language models have been in development for many years. If you're thinking, what's a large language model? It's these large computer models trained on massive corpuses of text that then allow us to do things like generative AI, being able to reproduce images or text or video or audio based upon just a few simple prompts in natural language. That's what powers systems like ChatGPT or in the future will power some of these voice assistants and other chatbots that we interact with every day. So I think yeah, that's nothing new, right? There's that great book, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's often the way we have to think about these things is that there's that that fast mode. We've suddenly seen this explosion of technology brought about mostly by the popularization of it through, through ChatGPT when it launched last November. It's come into the public consciousness. But uh, the underlying technology you know, has been been thought about for for decades now. You know, as early as the kind of late sixties. You know, we saw kind of uh, evolution and development in this space. As for whether or not it then in the popularization of it becomes a fad, and then we've seen a lot of tech fads come and go in recent years. Some still maybe hanging on. You know, Facebook as a company and pivoted their entire business name and model to Meta around the idea of the metaverse. And uh, there's certainly been some cooling in that space in the past, you know, 12 to 24 months. A lot of metaverse experts and now AI experts, if you go looking on LinkedIn, those title shifts happen quickly. We've also seen the kind of the boom and bust of like the Bitcoin and crypto world. Again, that's it's not gone away, but it's certainly not as kind of popularized right now or NFTs and other things like that. But I think with AI, it's a big difference because for a few reasons. One is that this is not a, a channel or a single use technology. Artificial intelligence is a, a general use technology. It's coming to change not just the way we do marketing or the way that we do currency in the form of NFTs or the way you know, maybe we do gaming or meetings with, with the metaverse. It's coming to all aspects of our lives from you know, the way in which we, I often say the way in which we work, live and play, all three of those areas are, are being changed. It's coming into our work lives to help us be more efficient. It's coming into our learning in terms of helping educate us, whether that's on languages or bringing us research topics. 
and it will change the way in which we play and interact, particularly in our social interactions with one another. It's changing what it means to talk to someone when you don't have to have that person necessarily be a human on the other end. So I don't think this is a, a fad by any means. Now, the hype cycle may abate. We may see a, a cooling down, but that's quite normal. In all technology revolutions, there was a hype cycle around mobile phones, but those certainly didn't kind of, we wouldn't say they were a fad. Yeah, we've just had the iPhone 15 launch this week as we've recorded, you know, 15, actually more like 17 generations of the iPhone since the first one. You know, it's getting hard to get excited about new iPhones now, right? But they're still like, in the grand sweep of time, miraculous technologies, <laughs> but we get used to these things so easily. So I think it does maybe feel a bit faddy at the moment to talk about AI. You're seeing that word crop up everywhere. Everyone wants to be an AI influencer or an AI expert. And I think that will cool down because we will get used to having this stuff around. But it is the next big thing. It's the current big thing. And I think it's going to have significant impacts on our, our work lives and our you know, kind of faith lives as well. Really all aspects of what it means to kind of get on in the world. I mean, it's interesting you made that comment there just about our faith lives as well. And, and you know, one of the big concerns, I suppose, is the right word around AI is that is the ethics of it, you know, in terms of, you know, across the board. And I know that the church, as in with a capital C, has a huge voice and part to play in that, you know, in, in, in my opinion. And what, so what, and what are your thoughts and how do you think the church should be responding to AI? Is it an opportunity? Is it a threat? Are there ethical questions around it? I know these are very, um, you know, initial tentative conversations were happening, but you're a voice in it. What, what are you? What, yes. What's your perspective at the moment? I think, as I say, with with all AI technology, it's coming to disrupt all aspects of what we do in our day to day lives, and so our faith is certainly a part of that. It has to be both in terms of our individual personal connection with with jesus and, and our experience of what it means to have a relationship with the lord but also in the corporate setting of the church and what it means to do ministry as you know groups of people we are trying to respond to this so one of the things that i felt very kind of called around this at the start of this year was that i needed to help convene some of the conversation that's happening in this space around ai and we're launching a community called ecclesiae which is a group of Christian believers that are thinking about critically the, the role that AI will play in our faith. Well, I'm sure we can put a link to the, um, the community website in the show notes if people are interested in getting involved. And the, the mission behind Ecclesiae and what I think the church needs to be responding to is really threefold. The first is theologically, we need to have a, a good theology of what AI really means for us. AI touches upon so many different aspects of what it means to be a human if we think in the long term. And I think it's important to split out the current AI that we have, which are these large language models and, and chatbots, right. I don't think these things pose a fundamental threat to Christianity or to, or to our faith life. But the potential of what we think of as artificial general intelligence, the kind of thing that you see in you know the science fiction movies, you know, kind of the AI super beings that come to live with us, those do pose really interesting theological questions for us. You know, when, when technology reaches a point where it is indistinguishable from a human and it has some kind of sentience around it, you know, does it have rights, for example, would be one question. Right. But, you know, can it, can it ask for salvation? Should, what happens if it reads all of the world's texts and decides that it either agrees with or, or disagrees with them? And if something is so much more intelligent than us, will we not question whether or not it should, uh, you know, kind of have that judgment? So I think there are big theological questions, but actually more in the short term, the real issues I think are practical and pastoral. The, the practical being simple things like, should I use ChatGPT to write a sermon? 
you know, should I outsource some of the way in which I plan my week and kind of you know do my work as a minister, for example, you know, using AI tools? Should I be logging all of the data of all the couples that I'm talking to in my church and using an algorithm to predict whether or not one of them is going to get divorced and uh, intervene early? Th- th- these are practical questions because actually all of that stuff is kind of possible already and will become more possible over time. And then there are the pastoral questions around how do we pastor people through the impacts that AI will have on their individual lives, so not the minister, but those that are in the congregation. You know, I often default back to the example of when a young person, and Dan, I know you've done a lot of work with youth over your ministry time, when young people come to you and say, oh, I've fallen in love with a chatbot, how do we respond to that? Well, is that okay? Do we chastise them? Do we say it's not real? Do we question their feelings around it? Or if they are having questions, for example, around gender identity or relationships or sexuality, and they go to a chatbot for advice rather than coming to you as a youth leader or as a minister, how do we contend with that? How do we challenge the information that maybe has been presented to them? These are real like pastoral issues that are going to come up in right. the church, and that if they're not already with us, they will come over the coming years. And so we have to prepare the church to be able to handle those questions, to defend the, the core beliefs of our faith but also to equip and enable those that are ministering and leading in these spaces to deal with the issues that are presented. In the same way that we've had to do that in years gone by with social media or the web originally, for many years, online church was seen as somehow an evil thing and shouldn't be kind of, right. it was a, an affront to you know, meeting in person. Come along a pandemic, funnily enough, our views changed on these things. So the church can move and the church can change its views on these technologies, but we don't want to wait for a crisis to be the thing that makes that happen. We should be being prepared. And historically, I would say the church is usually too late or too bad at doing that. And so we need to try and be both good and early, I think, with when it comes to AI, because the ramifications are just far bigger than we could imagine. Yeah. I mean, thanks for unpacking that, JP. I mean, just the practicalities of where we find ourselves now as church and the issues we're dealing with and the things we're working through right now forget future singularities sentient beings but just right now yeah it's huge as some of the things you've unpacked there and as always there's two approaches right there's the reactive approach you know wait till it happens to me then i'll react and there's a proactive approach so would you just explain to our listeners um a little bit more about the ecclesiastic community and just to people that are interested in this, in being part of the conversation or adding value to the conversation, how does the community work? How can people join? So what we've been trying to do is bring together a kind of ecumenical group across uh, denominations and also across different sectors to really have a conversation to bridge this discussion between faith and AI to prepare the church of tomorrow. And so what we're trying to do is bring together a group of people that will research and prepare materials and resources that will equip the church in the future. And so we're in the early phases of launching during this autumn uh, with a view that 2024 will be the kind of place where we begin to become really active in in connecting people. If you want to find out more, you can go to Ecclesiae, which is E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A-I.org, and you can sign up and join the community. Um, You'll be invited to a Slack group to be a part of that discussion as we prepare these, these materials and as they roll out. But the, the real thing that I think we need is we need that group um, across the across the industries and across the, the, the church to really come together. At the moment, if you think about the debate that's being had around these topics, they operate at two very different ends of the spectrum, either the highly academic, right. either in the kind of political circles or like the research universities and places like that, or it comes out in the tabloids. It's the stuff that hits the headlines. It's, you know, the the minister that's written all of his sermons on ChatGPT and has been taking a salary all year instead of preaching. You know, it's those types of things that we're going to see happen. 
And what I would love us to see, and I think the community would love to see, is somewhere in the middle where we actually kind of can bring that learning that's going on in those academic institutions, in the in the places where there's really deep thought, and there are really deep thought thoughtful Christians thinking about this stuff in, in a number of institutions, but also contend with those big kind of like tabloidy type issues, and just actually bring it back to the normal everyday believer, help them to engage with the issues and prepare as this stuff rolls out, and also just keep with the pace of change because. This stuff is moving at such a clip. It's just impossible for the average person who's got, you know, kind of day-to-day life to live that doesn't, like, I get to spend a lot of time thinking about this in a professional setting. How do you keep up? So I think we need to be preparing materials and resources to really equip the church to contend with that. And particularly for those that are Christians working in industry, working in these technology companies who have a hand in shaping this technology, there's I think we have an ethical and moral responsibility to shine a light there, to be salt and light in those places and to bring the kingdom. And whether that's influencing the way in which technology is used, whether that's actually in the building of it itself, or whether it's just in our own individual usage of it, I think we you know, can operate all of those levels. Um, and so that's what Ecclesia is um, seeking to do, is to bring that kind of faithful intelligence to, to life and bridge that gap. Fantastic. And just sort of drilling out slightly from, you know, we're talking very specifically about AI, which is obviously one of the key, both theological and praxis questions of our, you know, of our time right now, as you say. But just taking a step back and drilling out a bit, what's your sort of view and I suppose experience of the intersection of faith and business in this area of how we as the church respond to it? And, you know, you be someone that's been involved in church ministry for, for a lot of your life and as well as business and different entrepreneurial activities. What's your both your view and experience of that of that intersection? I think we can't separate the marketplace from the church, right? I mean, Jesus has the, you know kind of countless examples of being amongst people, right? Yeah, you know, if you look through through the Gospels, we see him constantly being amongst the business people, the tax collectors. He was amongst you know, the fishermen, and you know, kind of people like Paul. Yeah, you know, kind of they were amongst the, these kind of people all the time. And I said it earlier on, but I think one of the things that we are you know, all called to do is to create. Uh, you know, we, are, we are made in the image of the creator. And what is it to create? Well, it's to bring new things into the world. And that's what businesses are there for. Whether that's individuals as entrepreneurs, that's, uh, that's our individual calling. But particularly businesses where we're bringing together companies, I think is a really interesting space. And I don't think the church has always known exactly how to interact with companies. We can kind of do the individual quite well. You know, I'm sure you've been in plenty of Sunday services where you know you get the business person up on the Sunday and interview them about what their job is, and that's an interesting way of bringing out the individual and maybe a good story or two. But generally speaking, the church has not had a great time of interacting with companies or corporations, which is weird, really, because what is a company? Well, it's a group of people coming together. The word companies comes from the same root as the word communion. It's a group of people coming together to commune, a community of people on a mission to do something. It's the same thing that the church is there to do, it's just a different mission. And I think that we've generally seen that, one, for those that kind of are very successful in their businesses, there can be a lot of guilt um, when, when we become successful because you know, the way in which money then flows is usually just to kind of give into charities and philanthropy, but rather than seeing business as a vehicle for the good. And I think that that is maybe beginning to turn at the moment. I look at the amazing work. I'm, I'm privileged to serve as an advisor to Impact Central and to 
Chorus, which is a fantastic social impact fund and venture um, team, where we've seen countless businesses where many, not all, but many started by people of faith, showing what they can do when uh, a group of people with a great idea, but a commercial idea can come around that and for profit, then give that profit back to causes. And I think that is just so inspiring to me that there is, you know, that the church can kind of interact with business in that way. So I would love personally to see you know more churches thinking about how they can invest into kingdom focused businesses. No, maybe not so much individual churches, but certainly the church institutions, denominations, and large organisations within the in the the faith world, because I, I believe it's part of our calling. And the majority of us are called to work out in the the marketplace, right? Yeah, you know, the, those that are called to lead and in minister is is the minority of the calling. The majority of us are out there working either in businesses for people or running businesses or you know it work if you're serving in even schools or hospital settings or care settings those are still businesses ultimately in different formats um so that's where we spend the majority of the time but i think that the church has had a, a tough time sometimes working out what its relationship should be with those companies yeah i think i'm i agree with everything you said there jp but and i also think that we're in a particular moment in time you know coming through this pandemic scenario as you mentioned earlier and with that generational shift with a lot of the sort of the Gen Z generation really sort of reasoning from purpose first and reasoning from mission first and they don't have the same constructs and norms that maybe we grew up in where you went to Sunday school, you went to you know, you went to church because your parents did, you went to university, you got a job, you stayed there for X amount of years and blah blah blah. I think that that whole mindset has really shifted. And so one of the things I'm encouraged with in this season is seeing relationships and conversations like this happening more regularly and more intentionally you know from the sort of supper club we were at last night through to things like the wonderful summit bringing together a whole community of people to invest in networks to what other organizations are doing like fte and there's some great stuff out there so i think that we are in a season where that's shifting but i think it's going to take a lot of intentionality and resource to make it happen you know the, the, the biggest danger is getting comfortable and going back to the old right is going back to the way we've always done things. And I think there's there's an aspect of, you know, all business is risk, right? It's your tolerance for risk. Yeah. Um, there's no such thing as a guaranteed sale, right? We all know that. And I think that that's where maybe some of this trouble has come for the church is, but, uh, you know, churches and charities alike are, you know, donation funded predominantly, right? You know, we're, yeah. we're funded off of the the tithes, the giving, the, the giving away from the excess or maybe the giving away from the lack of excess. And so we bring with that into the church uh, a real you know, kind of philosophy around money around stewardship and governance i know this podcast is you know, kind of brought to you by people like stewardship and that's right in that setting but outside of that setting there's a different philosophy of money that governs you know kind of the way in which things work where you know, right. it's yeah you, know, you don't often talk in churches about product market fit but you know kind of in the in the the commercial setting that's absolutely what we're trying to do because it's a it's an exchange and there's i think been for too long a, a view that that exchange is somehow kind of dirty or somehow kind of you know a, a swindle people trying to kind of make money you know kind of by selling you something and, and the reality is that that shouldn't be the case like you know ideally the businesses that we run certainly the businesses that i hope that we run at vixen and, and other endeavors that i'm involved in that both people on either side of that transaction even though there's money involved should be super happy about it right the, you, you know, and it's all about you know, leverage you walk into a coffee shop and that that little cup of coffee doesn't really mean very much to the coffee shop but when you're in the one in real need of a cup of coffee it means a lot to you and you'll happily part with three or four quid for it 
and everyone walks away delighted. And that should be the way it feels in all, all transactions. But looking from the outside in as the church, where we have a mindset of all money is gifted and all money is stewardship, and that, that can often um, retreat into a kind of very conservative attitude to the way in which money is used. Um, that I think can sometimes trickle over into the way in which we think about how money operates outside of that setting. I think that we need to re reset that level. I think this social impact and social business movement that we're seeing, whether that's led by the B Corp initiatives we've spoken about historically, or through just social impact businesses, um, that, that that tide of narrative maybe is changing a little bit and churches are beginning to see, oh no, actually, business can be such a fruitful thing. And I, I look at examples that, like we saw earlier this year at the Wonderful Summit, hosted at St. John at Acne, kind of the work that St. Church are doing there with their different businesses, right? You, you know, Al, and, and I think he's been on the show, you know, talking about all of the different things that they, they're doing with the bees that they're keeping or the beer that they're brewing. And they're, they're showing that the money that flows through the church can be outpoured into businesses and it can actually replicate. So I think that level setting is happening. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I agree with that. And I think people like you and, and, and leaders like us, we have a responsibility, I think, to kind of keep championing it, keep resourcing it, keep the conversation open. So, yeah, yeah and that's why, you know, we, that's one of the reasons we're talking today, mate. I want to just sort of spend a few moments just drilling into, into your life as an entrepreneur, but as an entrepreneur with faith, you know, because sometimes they can feel at odds with each other, right? You're busy. You're always trying to grow, you're developing product market fit, new opportunities, sales, HR. And, you know, I know in my own in my own journey, you can sometimes go for a good period of time without actually feeling grounded and without actually kind of, um, you know, connected into who you really are. Because an entrepreneur so much is, you know, often what you're doing rather than who you are because you're producing outcomes yeah. and you're producing results. That's right. So. Talk to me about JP. How do you stay grounded? How do you kind of keep that faith alive in the middle of all of this stuff we're discussing? Yeah, it's 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 a good question. <laughs> um, I think one of the things is, and I've really kind of been challenged by this recently. I've been studying a little bit of uh, the story of Joshua, and um, you know he. I just love the way that, that kind of the Lord writes this in like the the, uh, the opening of the book of Joshua. You might know this. But do you know what the first verse is? It's like Moses was dead. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's the opening line of the book of Joshua. Right, <laughs> Moses was dead, and that follows directly after like the story of you know Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, like the story of the Exodus. This kind of mass narrative and such achievement on behalf of this amazing man that's called in in the form of Moses. And then it's like the next book, on to the next guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I take from that that you know we are all here for a time and a season, and we all have our part to play, and we'll never know how big that ramification is of the part that we play. But equally, we are just a tool, you know, to be disposed of by the Lord to fulfil His His purposes. Right. And our moment is fleeting, and so you can be as amazing as Moses, and like, okay, on to the next guy. Joshua step up you know that can be your experience and maybe I won't get as long as Moses did and I certainly won't do the things that he did so I think that's one of the big things is just trying to kind of find that moment of no matter the teams you're leading or how many people you've hired this month or what the numbers look like is just to remember how disposable we are as individuals in part of this grand narrative and yet how loved we are at the same time that brings me hopefully back down to the ground all of the time of like don't think of yourself more than what you are right now because like even even moses 
kind of gets moved on and the next guy steps up and the next guy will step up behind me in whatever these journeys are. And so I find that grounding and I find that humbling. So first of all, is to, is to be rooted in that. In terms of then the, what kind of guides me, and I think one of the big things is we think about some of these really big issues that we've been talking about, particularly around like my role, our role as a company and as leaders in this space, in this world of AI, is that I'm also very aware of that call of like, you know, you are called for a time such as this, mm-hmm. that we are here for a specific moment and a specific season. And one of the big things, I think, generationally, for those of us that kind of find ourselves in that kind of um, late Gen X, uh, you know, kind of like the elder millennial kind of group, is we're, we're the last generation of people, and so the last generation of leaders right now, to remember what life was like before and after this kind of great technological revolution of, of the internet and now of AI. Right. And I think with that comes a responsibility to do something about it, because we are, like, our kids will not know any different they will only ever have known what this is like in a similar way to probably like for us that are just old enough can remember what life was like pre or post 9 11 for example or right you know, those of our, our grandparents generations will know what life was like pre and post from the world wars there are every now and again these kind of apocryphal moments that come along in our lives and these revolutions that happen and we can see ourselves in the grander narrative of what god's doing in the world and I think with what's happening at the moment with technology, we are living through one of those revolutionary moments where we are the generation that will remember what life was like before and what life was like after. And it will be up to us to carry forward what was good from before into the after and what we should leave behind. Yeah, amazing. That I take as a real guiding principle for the choices that we make around, well, what things will we invest in? You know, what things will we not invest in, both in terms of time and money and effort? And I think that that is the, you know, one of those kind of principles that kind of guides me is remembering our moment in the story that we're a part of and seeing life as a story, seeing life as a, as a, as a thing that we're playing a part in. And you know, are you still in the opening chapters or are you in the conclusion? Like for all of us, that will be different that are listening. But seeing yourself as part of that grand narrative and knowing what side of that mountain you're on is really important because I think that is the thing that guides you as well as also being grounded in knowing how disposable we are and just that the God loves us, but he also doesn't have to use us and he chooses to. And isn't that amazing? Yeah, amazing. That's the thing that keeps me inspired, I think. I love that sort of holistic approach and that kind of weaving that narrative together. So, and, and obviously the way you just sort of open up by talking about Joshua as a kind of real point of inspiration. But I suppose outside of the Bible, not to say it in a direct sense, but who else inspires you or what inspires you? What keeps that, that narrative, you know, flowing and keeps that story going? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am inspired. Yeah, I've mentioned them before. My, my dad and my brother are real inspirations to me in just like seeing their own kind of entrepreneurial journeys. And I think we all have those examples of, of people that have um, have kind of gone before us and given given examples of what it looks like to do specifically what we do well. I think, you know, there are a couple of people that I think of in the, that have kind of been real mentors and kind of in this space. You know, some of them we know and, and some we were even with yesterday at Everything uh, Conference. What one chap that comes to mind is those listening may be familiar with Rory Sutherland, who's one of the um, kind of uh, real pioneers in this behavioral economic space. One of the VPs at Ogilvy, uh, he was responsible for getting me my first job in the in the agency right. land directly after I finished doing that podcasting entrepreneurship startup uh, back in the early days. And um, I'm constantly inspired by um, his wisdom and and forward thinking, and also he, he is also very much grounded in his faith as well, which I think is a real inspiration. So um, I look to people like that as as those that kind of you know, have gone before us. But yeah, I, I suppose my inspiration is also about, you know, 
or where do I get inspiration, not just in form of individuals, but I think is that, you know, the, I try and read as widely as possible and kind of dive into people's stories because like for every book that is on that shelf is another life that you can kind of go and live your, right. your experience through. And so the, the big thing for me is to kind of keep that horizon like really, really broad and try and read it across, you know, such a, a wide spectrum to try and kind of keep myself reminded of, yeah, that kind of fallibility that we have of, you know, kind of getting trapped in our own little, uh, confirmation cycles you know we, we yeah very you know that's one of the i think the biggest trappings of the social media world is that you know we can often find ourselves defaulting back to the same handful of voices that have an outside influence over our perspective because the algorithms are, are tuned to that and so i'm constantly trying to push myself to read outside of the things that i would think of or talk to people and be challenged through doing things like this you know kind of having having these discussions with people yeah, trying to kind of keep that inspiration level high is, is a real challenge because if you're going to do innovation work, you've got to be pushing yourself outside your own perspective because, yeah, to innovate for other people is all about empathy. And if, if you can't be empathetic to other people's experiences, then you are going to find yourselves not making something very successful in the long term. Yeah, amazing. What do you do then? You know, you've got the inspiration side and, you know, reading wide and, and kind of, you know, that that's feeding your soul. What does JP do to relax? Uh, what do I do to relax? I'm a big basketball fan. Okay. I've kind of discovered that in the past few years. Uh, both I love to play it in the garden with a hoop that we've got out there, but also to watch it. Uh, we'll be at the London Lions next week uh, up in up in central London watching uh, them hopefully defeat a couple of different teams. Uh, so we try and kind of get out of that and I try and make myself make a, a pilgrimage to Madison Square Garden a couple of times a year to go and watch the Knicks. I wouldn't advise anyone that's getting into basketball to necessarily try and join me in that because you won't find a lot of success with it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, something uh, humbling about being a Brit. I think we can't just kind of go after the uh, those that are already winning. Um, so yeah, I think I take a lot of a lot of joy from that, and yeah, I, I lead worship in our local church um, down here in in Surrey, which is a real joy. And I think that's the thing that kind of I always will kind of go back to is is you know leading and uh, and playing music in that space. So those those things probably kind of keep me most um, most engaged. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is the travel. Um, one of the big things I get to do as part of our our work is to um, you know to go around the world and speak in front of different audiences about this topic uh, you know, and i'll be doing that over the next six months as well in many different places if you if you see me on the road please come and say hello sure. but um yeah the thing i think about come kind of coupled with that previous question is both the fun and the inspiration is kind of being amongst people of different cultures and so i love love to travel and to um yeah just kind of be amongst different people uh, and see how life is lived in different parts of the world because it's the thing that kind of reminds you and keeps your perspective wide about how how different we all are but yet yeah, how really we're all pretty much the same Fantastic. Final question, JP, before I let you go and crack on with your day. The question we ask all of our guests, uh, no matter how old they are, is what is the one piece of advice or just what one piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, I've tried to answer this in previous discussions and I always think I give a different answer. So maybe that's <laughs> just as a sign of how much I don't know. And I think that therein lies the advice I would probably give is like not to take yourself too seriously. It comes back to that thing we were just talking about in Joshua is like the things that feel really big in the moment are often really not as big as you like to think they are and, and not to think too much of ourselves, you know, to, to kind of be, be like Moses and, you know, kind of know that you're disposable because <laughs> you might find yourself disposable. And that doesn't mean necessarily you're going to get killed off in act three, but it does mean that you, you know, kind of your part to play may be coming to an end and you don't know about it. Um, but there's a reason why it's coming to an end because you're on to do the next thing. 
for Moses at some point or other that was you know kind of leaving the desert or you know kind of no longer being you know, kind of part of the royal household or you know kind of roaming in the wilderness and at some point or other it was going to be in glory we all have that moment coming for us so just I think the thing I would give to my younger self is to don't don't hold things so tightly because you know the minute that you let go of them funnily enough you know God put something else in your hand great advice love it JP, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you on the pod, my friend, and uh, God bless and bless you in everything you do and have a great weekend. You too, buddy. Lovely to be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To be part of the community, join us on Slack and follow us on Instagram. Simply look us up at wonderfulleaders.com. See you there.